0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. So read with me. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's as far as our text will go for what we're preaching this morning, but I think it's wise just to finish this one out. So read with me in verse 11 as well. and 13. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So pray with me, please. Lord, once again, we come before your word and are immediately and boldly humbled by it. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy to us in this. For not leaving us to think that our own hearts would be good enough to guide and for not being willing to allow us to follow our own foolishness for wherever it might take us, but for drawing us back immediately, directly, and deeply in dependence on you and what you have provided. So Lord, I pray for our time this morning, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would soften our hearts before you so that we might be quick to set aside our own agendas our own preoccupations and said instead, Lord, your name, your kingdom, and your will. And it's in your name that we pray all of these things, Lord Jesus. Amen. as we come back into our series through the Sermon on the Mount this morning, I find it's always helpful to give a little bit of context. What what we're doing is we're taking uh, the introductory speech from the book of Matthew that basically reveals to us this is who Jesus is and this is the message that he came to preach. The rest of the book of Matthew plays out how Jesus's life embodied that and demonstrated that and then even fulfilled all of that. But As you notice, in the book of Matthew, we're we're not very far in. We're only in the sixth chapter. What's happened so far is basically, um, well, Jesus was born. uh, And then we had this guy, John the Baptist, who showed up and prepared the way. And Jesus hasn't even recruited all of his disciples yet. But here at the beginning, we get this, his sermon to his disciples saying, Essentially, here's what's up. Here's what you need to know. And here's where I'm leading and what is important. The flow of it so far, starting in chapter five, has been rather profound. And I think it's important to remind ourselves of this because we have a tendency to take these little bits and chop them up and look deeply into them, which we can do because the word of God goes deeper than we could ever pursue. But it's really helpful to know the context and the flow of what Jesus is doing and the message that he's even communicating. And so for his sermon, he starts off in um, 1 through 16 with the Beatitudes and the blessed are, and he gives us the meek, the humble, those who mourn, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. And you can almost imagine as people would be listening, you can kind of anticipate some of the objections like, well, wait, 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 but what about the law? These people that you've just identified, they're not necessarily those who are fulfilling the law. They might be kind, but they're kind of soft. And in your word, or in God's word, we have many hard things and many difficult things that we are to rise to and that we're to perform. And so Jesus, recognizing that, kind of turns a little bit and in I'm sorry yeah and the the following section says to them no 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 I've not come to abolish the law but actually to fulfill it and then he ups the ante and says even you you have to do better than the scribes and the pharisees in order to fulfill the law and then he even adds the threat the concern of or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven And so then you can also imagine what people would be saying. Well, we can't all do that. If that's the case, then not even the scribes or the Pharisees, the most holy ones amongst all of us, are actually getting into heaven. And the rest of us, well, we're toast. What are we even doing here? You can kind of see them saying, well, the same things that that we would say. Where do we start when we want to justify ourselves in our good deeds, or at least our lack of bad deeds? Well, I'm not a murderer. And so Jesus enters in there. Well... You've heard it said, but I say to you, and then you know, whoa, okay, well, well, at least I'm not an adulterer. Well, you've heard it, and you, can st- you see Jesus' progression from the big evils, you know, the, the really bad sins, all the way up through the everyday, we're all guilty, we can't get away from them sins. I'm not a murderer or an adulterer or a liar. I know I'm a halfway decent friend. At least two of my friends and shoot, neighbors include enemies. Well, at least I'm not a bad prayer. And Jesus one by one chips each of these and goes the, well, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he raises the bar higher and higher and higher. In fact, he says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and that it's actually the internal secret things that matter the most to God. Our posture towards our enemies, which is essentially, do we love like our Father? You know, where our heart is and how we give. Do we act like our Father? Your attitude in prayer, even, how you speak to your Father. And Jesus' sermon goes on. What he's doing is identifying the ways that by God's common grace, we all instinctively recognize what we should do, the way that it should be, and yet when we pause to evaluate our hearts, we come up short again and again and again. Throughout the history of theology, there's, there's three uses of the law that Jesus is really um, playing out rather beautifully here. Um, the first use of the law is to draw our eyes up to the way that it should be. And you've got to imagine here, like, like this should spark our imaginations and our souls to, to want. This rightfully wets our appetite. So that we start thinking, well, what would it be like if we didn't hate in our heart? What would society, culture, family, friends be like if we never lusted even? If we treated one another with complete dignity and respect and honor? What would it look like if our words really were trustworthy? How much would it change the beauty and the joy and the comfort and the security of society if when people said they'd do something, then they actually did? And if our confusion was only innocent confusion and it was never purposeful confusion... It would change everything. And our hearts automatically recognize that because that's what we are made for. And yet, Jesus is revealing progressively and even brutally, we can't do it. And so that's the second use of the law. To look each and every one of us boldly in the eye and say, you are not enough. You will not make the cut. Your stack of good good deeds is but rubbish and waste. And when you look at it, you should rightfully fear and tremble because you fail the test. And then mercifully comes the third use of the law which is to realign our hearts and take us from that place of right and appropriate despair. If you have not despaired in your faith, then you're doing it wrong. And turns us instead to desperation so that we can turn to the lawgiver who yet hears us because we are not undone yet. Because life still endures now. And we can turn to him on our knees and become desperate for his mercy which is where Jesus is leading us through all of this. Um, Nathan referenced it earlier in a sermon, and it's only appropriate that we bring it back here because it's such a beautiful quote um, by C.S. Lewis, who having been accused of not caring for the Sermon on the Mount, he responds in his incredible book, God in the Dock, As to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if by caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition And this is where we are. And yet, even here, in this place, is where Jesus whispers hope. And where Jesus speaks of blessing. And where Jesus calls us into deeper and deeper dependence. the theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones speaking of this section and specifically this section as we look at it on prayer says a man discovers the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in private when he is alone with God in prayer it is not only the highest activity of the soul it is the ultimate test of our true spiritual condition and this is true because again while we have the instinct of what should be our hearts are yet incredibly far off. And so even in Jesus' progression in, this, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, what we have here in the section that we're looking at when we consider the disciples' prayer, when we consider how he lays out how we're to come to the Father, I want you to see what he's done is he's, he's raised the bar, but he's given us no specifics. And so it's, he's wet our appetite, but he, he hasn't given us anything yet quite to stand on. Um, my grandmother uh, B Miller and then later Medeiros as you may have known her she was a a wily woman Um, and you can follow up with my parents to tell see if I'm telling the story properly but she at one point she was a a teacher in the Glen Burnie school systems for a long time and one time she uh, got a box of chocolates and she decided to play a prank on all of her fellow teachers. So she took out all the chocolates and preserved the box and it's all, you know, little individual paper cup sections. And you know, when you take a chocolate from one of those boxes, you bite into it and there's chocolate on the outside and then usually something white and delicious on the inside. Um, So she then took bars of ivory soap and whittled them down into different shapes and then skillfully rolled them in the chocolate set them out to dry and then put them back in the shaped you know, paper cups and then brought it to school. And then she'd say, hey, here's this wonderful thing, have one, and in order just to make sure that she you know, pulled the joke all the way through, she pulled one out herself and knowing how much chocolate she had on the outside, she'd nibble the chocolate off and then offer one to them. And you know they of course would bite into it and then she'd cackle maniacally or whatever she did, I don't know. Um, but there is this sense of leading us towards something good and then, oh no. Jesus here, after going through that, finally then says, I've wet your appetite and you're used to that disappointment and that crushing. Oh no. But here I give you something better. Well, even as he says, do not be like them, he then brings in hope because he's saying that as he explains further in John 15 that we are like vines cut off from the branch, disconnected from our source of life. And here's what this passage is dealing with. The fact that we don't even know how to come to God in prayer. Again as Martin Lloyd-Jones said a man discovers the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in private. He's contrasting this in the text and in his commentary saying we're tempted when we want to look at what is it what is our state before God? We want to look at the people who are down on their luck, who are off in the alleys, who are shabbier than we are, where all their resources have been purged away and they are clearly, you know, stuck in their vices and there that that is sin. Lloyd Jones actually says no that's exactly the opposite think of the most holy person you can conceive of and then imagine them on their knees before the lord in prayer and this is where sin is because even there it divides our heart from god it takes us down rabbit holes of distraction It leads us into wondering how well we're doing it. It leaves us hoping that maybe someone will open the door, even if we are hiding in our closets, and see us or find us. And even there, even there, our hearts are yet divided from Him. We no longer even know how to approach our Heavenly Father. But God refuses to leave us in this condition. And while we don't know how to approach Him, He approaches us. And I want you to see this. Even here, the problem that Jesus is speaking to is we can't pray right. We can't approach God rightly. But what is happening? God has already become one of us. God is already speaking truth and mercy and grace to us. And then God is now instructing us on how we can then rightly speak back to God again. We can't even answer God's call of mercy. We can't even answer the presence of God bending on his knee to meet us in our moment outside of his merciful instruction through the person of Jesus Christ. And So our call in the text is to answer God by following Jesus back into God's presence again. And Jesus, as he gives us this model for prayer, walks us through several things of what that means. Um, but before we can even get there, I, I think it's incredible. He kind of anticipates even how his words will be used. In verse seven saying, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And yet how many times have we used this prayer this way? Just get into the Repetition. We just get into the words. We just get into the, oh, I've done something bad. Oh, I need to reconnect with God. Okay, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debt. And Jesus, at the very get-go, says, no, 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 no. That's not what this is. And then he leads us in. This is not words of repetition to earn God's favor. This is how to reconnect as a severed branch. This is a model, but this isn't a script. And you can lean on the script, but don't ever let it become just a script. And so the question that I want to ask and answer with the text today is, how exactly is Jesus leading us back to God in this prayer? So we'll look at just the first several sections of this, and then next week we'll follow through on the last portion of it. But let me read it for us once again. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the first way that Jesus leads us back to God is by leading us back as members of the royal family. The opening to this is massively significant. Verse 9, it begins by saying, Our Father in heaven. And I just want to break this down a little bit word by word. We have to begin with our. And in coming back to this and reconsidering it again for a moment, um, how many times do we pray with our? Our? I think in North American Western culture, we are massively individualistic. It's not a fault, but it is a tendency and a weight and something we have to guard against being a fault. And when we pray, we tend to think that prayer is just a me and God thing. And even when we think about, you know, praying in our closet often alone, then we think, well, it's just me because I'm insulated from everyone else and it's this private, internal, isolated, individual thing. But Jesus' first word of instruction becomes our, our. And when we do that, we are not just aligning with the people we agree with. And we are not just aligning with the people in our church or the people in our denomination or the people in our general line of theological agreement but we are aligning ourselves with all of the people of God from the very beginning to the very end, all the way across, and we are but a minor facet of the whole. And if this doesn't knock us on our knees in humility immediately, well then again, we're probably doing it wrong. Our Father, we are but one member of a massively diverse family. And Jesus begins right there. Next, he comes to Father. And this is an incredibly profound identity statement. This is not, oh, distant mighty God. This is our Father, though he is a mighty God. And if he is the mighty God, then who are we? Well, even as Jesus has just laid out through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, how high do we rate before whether we're doing okay or not? It isn't high. And yet, and yet, how do we address the mighty and powerful God? This is our Father. We stand alongside our siblings, and we stand in his mercy, and we stand in his love. One of the pastors and theologians that has been guiding a lot of the work on this whole sermon series is Dan Doriani. And he says in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount that nothing shapes our prayers more than this one word. It explains why prayer is simple and why sinners can approach God with confidence. This is why we have a confession in our worship services. Because the one we confess to is our Father. And now I know, I know even as I say that, Many of us have not had positive or even healthy experiences with our fathers. And even those of us who have had the best of fathers, they've got plenty of their weaknesses and their faults. My father is here with us this morning, and he's a messy dude. I love him a lot. But he falls massively far from the image of Christ, and there's things in any parent-child relationship that make coming to the Father one of the harder things, especially in vulnerability. But God, as our Father, doesn't promise just to be like our fathers. But God here set the role for what right fatherhood is. The reason that our failed fathers hurt so bad is because we have a remnant instinct of what fatherhood should be. And that is who God, our father, is. And that is who Jesus Christ brings us back to. Our authority, our progenitor, our dad our daddy because those of us who have had the weighty privilege of standing in that role know what it is to have a crying child a lost kid a guilty kid a fearful kid a kid who just had a bad dream and to hear that cry of daddy and to come running That is the posture of the one to whom we pray here. That is the situation. That is the role relationship that we have with this mighty God. The one of whose standard we fall radically short, but whose mercy says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You don't hunger and thirst for the things that you've got. You hunger and thirst for the things that you are in lack of. And those are the ones who are blessed. Those are the ones who are saying, I am insecure. That's where the blessing lands. Those are the ones who need the Father who say, I am little, I am weak, I am young, I am immature, I am terrified, I am afraid, I am insufficient. And our Father says, yes, I know, and I'm coming. Yes, I know, and I will hold you. As Jesus describes in the end of Revelation, won't pretend to get into all of Revelation except for this bit where it says all well, the analogies drop. And in Revelation 21, three through five, he says, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes and the dwelling place of God will be with man and death shall be no more. A father who wipes away the tears of the eyes of his children with gentleness and delicacy. Father who is in heaven Uh, Heaven here, you can get into all kinds of theological understandings and depths of what this means, and the commentators do. So if you want more of that, go to them. They've got it. Um, But what I want to focus on right now is just in heaven is the place where God's reign is 100% fully established with no threats and entirely secure and immovable. So when we pray to our Father in heaven, We are coming before the one who is completely unthreatened, is 100% secure. And that's why the Apostle Paul can tell us and pray for us that he prays that we could be rooted and grounded in his love because the one whom we are praying to is immovably anchored. And the victory is his and his reign is unchallenged. And so when we come in prayer, we come to that level of security. you recall i love this in uh the lion king there's that wonderful james earl jones fueled moment where simba is away from where he should be and he's just doing all the things that he wants to do and he's afraid to come back even when someone has found him and said come back we need you and he won't do it and he won't do it so he has to have a prophet you know monkey rafiki the baboon roll up and even then he runs away and then there's this moment where the heavens part and again James Earl Jones goes, Simba, remember who you are. You have forgotten yourself and so you have forgotten me. You are more than what you have become. (laughs) Thank you. He says, remember who you are. Who are you? And who is the person sitting next to you? And who is the person whose theology you really disagree with? And who is the person on the other side of the planet whom you've never met, but they're way different than you, and they look different than you, and they sound different than you, and maybe who's the other person in Annapolis who looks different than you and sounds different than you? They're your sister. They're your brother. They are sons and daughters of the king. In heaven, whose reign is unthreatened. And so when we come before him, we come along with them, and we come to that which is unshakable. Our Father in heaven. Jesus leads us back to God as members of the royal family. Tear down any of the things in your heart that would divide you from your sisters and brothers. Look only to Jesus as our Savior rip up the political divides, the worship preferences, the theological rifts. Let us, may we all hope that we might believe better than our theology states and cling only to the person of Jesus Christ and his love and mercy that we have there and lean hard into the Father's love. It is our only hope. As always, there's more that we can say on all of these things than we have time to get to. So we're gonna move a little more quickly through these next points. Um, In verse 10, well, even in the end of verse nine, we get, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the second way that Jesus leads us back is as subjects of the king. I want you to focus here. He says, your name, your kingdom, your will. Because remember who he is. He is the unshakable father whose reign is unchallenged and cannot and will not be moved. So then who are we? We are but subjects of him. And if you want to understand the weight of that and even the fear of that, We'll just continue to read the book of Matthew. Look at the things that he says in chapter 21. Look at even what he says throughout chapter 7. The parables abound. I'll read for us just briefly from chapter 21 the parable of the two sons in verse 28. Jesus speaking again. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered him, I will not bold move but afterward he changed his mind and went and he went to the other son and said the same and he said and he answered i go sir but he did not which of the two did the will of the father they said the first and jesus said to them truly i say to you the tax collector and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of god before you for john came to you in the way of the righteous and you did not believe him but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. I'm going to keep reading. Verse 33. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and, and leased it to tenants and then went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and we have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let them and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruits in their season. To be subjects of a king is a weighty thing. Throughout the book of Exodus, as Yahweh is leading his people out of Egypt, the refrain again and again and again is, then you will know that I am the Lord. He's saying that to Egypt. He's also saying that to Israel. Then as he leads them through the wilderness in the book of Numbers, he says to them again and again and again, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And then even later on in the path of Israel's history, in the, the book of Ezekiel, a common refrain throughout the entire book is, and then you will know that I am the Lord. He's saying, I am your king and you are my subjects. And so then whose will are we to do? Whose honor are we to fight for? Whose kingdom are we to build? And I want to be clear on this. This stretches, this, Jesus is not speaking this to the nations as a whole. He's speaking this to the church at the time. He's speaking this to the people of God. This is an in house sermon. And why would he have to say, This is how we pray, asking that his will would be done, that his name would be built? that his kingdom would be established, except that we don't do it. We build our name. We aggressively pursue our own will. We hold up our own values and standards above one another's. We do not think of each other more highly than we think of ourselves. We do not weep with those who weep or mourn with those who mourn. And yet Jesus reorients our hearts in prayer. And why can we trust this? Why does this do more than just expose our sin? Again, because Jesus is the one who's teaching us. Jesus is the one who's saying, you don't do this, but it's okay. I'll show you how. And then you you actually can do this as you follow me and as you trust me. And then you actually can be a broken branch regrafted back into the source of your life. You actually can come back to the Father. Why would we pray to God except that we are able to stand on the love of Jesus Christ that he's prepared for us and come back into his presence? Why would Jesus bother teaching us if it were not an achievable thing? Not by our own strength. Again, we need Jesus to show up and then to teach us. But by following him, We can be rebuilt back into his love. And then finally, in verse 10, the refrain of on earth as it is in heaven. And I just want to remind you because Jesus reminds us of this. We are not praying this with empty hands and weak arms and just the hope that maybe one day it'll work out. We're doing this because think about this. He boldly says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If this is not one of the most hopeful statements in all of scripture, I don't know what is. Because yes, we stand in confusion. Yes, we are filled with our own sin and the sin of everyone else around us. Yes, we effectively live in Babylon as the world is still not necessarily following God. But we are. And yet, even so, Jesus tells us to pray, Lord, let this happen here and now as it does again in heaven where you are enthroned and secure and unthreatened so that we might have a confidence as we come before the Father because the blessing that he has promised those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is not just a weak, wimpy, fearful, well, maybe, I hope so, I hope it plays out, but it is the confidence of a king whose reign is established and of a king who sends emissaries. And so Jesus leads us back to God even as heralds of his kingdom where we have the privilege of telling his story, a story that can never be threatened. And we can speak it to those of us around us who who are just working out their own stories that are limited to their own histories and limited to their own context and to their own culture. And we can say, no, there's so much more. We have a Father in heaven whose will has been established from the very beginning and will be done no matter what. And so even as things crumble around us, even as we get sick, even as we suffer, even as we die, even as we quarrel and fight and divide... We have a confidence and a hope that we can stand on that is God himself and his love for us. And here, brothers and sisters, my wife pointed this out to me as we were talking about this. How different would this text be? How differently would it land if Jesus never then actually died? But do you see, he, the one who preached these things to us, who said, there's a bar set that you can never reach, but you can still be blessed as you hunger and thirst for righteousness, as you take your... Imagine into beauty at the glory of God, and then are brought up short by the depths to which we fail to hit it, and then come on our knees in dependence before God, taking our, our despair and turning it to desperation. Because we have a Savior who said, I will take all the consequence for you. And he said, At the cross, I will pay all the penalty of your sin. And not only that, I will knit to you all the glorious reward of having lived perfectly, fulfilling all of the law and the prophets so that you might then come back before the presence of God himself and say, God, our Father in heaven, may it be here even as it is there and do that in me. You see, Our problem is that we don't even know how to approach God. But God's response to us in Jesus is, even that I will overcome for you so that you might come back into my presence. And our call then is to follow Jesus' lead into God's presence as members of his royal family, as subjects of the king, and as heralds of his kingdom because he has purchased it all for us in Jesus Christ. He has secured it in his position as our father. And we can walk in boldness back to him. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the goodness of your word. The ways that your word does not just leave us dreaming. And does not just leave us broken before the ideals. But rather, Lord, leads us Into desperation before you, but a desperation that is then satisfied in your love in Jesus Christ. And so, our Father who is in heaven, may your name be made holy, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.